Welcome to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. And then over here is this little leprechaun, Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich. And you found yourself at the end of the rainbow on episode 216 today, March 18th, 2021. We're going to be going into a little bit of the old howdy duty time post St. Paddy's Day, followed by our topic of the day, which is going to be Raya and the Last Dragon. Steve, I just want to be able to bestow upon you a post-happy St. Paddy's Day. Are you wearing any green? Well, no, it's it's the day after. Did you wear any green? Uh, well, uh, I don't think I did. I, uh, I did our people a bit of a disservice, Steve. I'm sorry. I don't think I wore any green either. Really? No green? No. None so well. I wore green the day before. <laughs> um, a bird may have poopled on my car. A little green. And I'm that sure may, that may have saved me a pinch. Somewhere in the world. That is a sign of good luck right there. <laughs> good luck right there. <laughs> it was a good day. If I'm not being too crass, though, I might have had some green in me boxers. I don't want to know about your boxers, Russ. <laughs> I don't know one. I don't want to know about the color. I don't want to know what's inside them. Uh, unfortunately, it's nothing too exciting. <laughs> green. <laughs> <laughs> I have some green. Uh, but that shark had some green in it. <laughs> I'll be right back. You know, one of the things I actually didn't do, <laughs> I always like doing the, the thing where you get a beer and uh, if you have some green food dye, just put it in the beer. No. You know? No. You know? No. <laughs> no. Not me. By the way, I had to share with you uh, some pictures. I was digging up. Yeah? Because I was like just having fun with the, you know, the whole leprechaun thing. Sure, Russ. And uh, I just had to share with you a, a couple of images. This is from like 2008. This oh particular shot, gosh. yeah, I was uh, I was young and sprightly in these shots, but uh, this is with one of my favorite makeup artists and hairstylists, uh, Tamana Roshan, and uh, I think we had just finished bowling at this point in time. But the main thing I wanted to draw attention to is the amazing red goatee I had. Like, are you wearing your hat backwards in that shot? Yeah, it's nighttime. I don't need it forwards. Gosh. What are you talking about? It's so school so 80s i'm from the 80s what do you expect man anyway well how do you wear yours sideways yeah i I wear mine a little (laughs) bit sideways off kilter with the bill up i wear mine inside out (sighs) (laughs) anyway i thought it was really fun to be able to just like capture this moment right here because so many people thought i like dyed my goatee that red color i'm like no that is 100% homegrown right there. You had no idea you're in the company of a leprechaun right here. So many people just went by. And you're a ginger. A ginger. You know what's ginger. funny? <laughs> you know what's funny is that is like the only part of me that is that red. It's like, because, I mean. Let's talk about the other parts, Russ. Well, Steve, it's kind of a cross between yeah. blonde, dirty blonde, brown, and red. It's like, huh. It reinforces the notion that mm. I I am, in fact, a Euro slut, Steve. There's no surprise there. With the old background of English, Irish, German, uh, maybe a little pinch of Scottish in there, too. Uh, 
So anyway, uh, another great shot. Whoa. No, this is what you know. I'll have to ask her. This is a, a buddy of mine. She turned twenty-one in this particular shot. But uh, one of my favorite redheads. I'll bet you there's probably some sort of Irish last representation there. What do you say, boyo? Perhaps, uh, maybe. I'm gonna have to. Yeah, I'm gonna have to figure out. I'm, I'm gonna contact I'm gonna, her. I'm gonna, the show. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna, that's what I'm gonna do. Because I keep thinking back. I'm like, I don't know if we've ever talked about her huh. ancestral background. I know it's been like 12 years. <laughs> but do you have any Irish in you? Do you, do you have like any Irish? I know this is totally random. I'm totally not drunk. But anyway, this also, I mean, ju- just to also prove the fact that here I am in Hawaii, natural sunlight, and the goatee is still representing the red. So anyway, I just, I had to share that with you. didn't look that red in that shot. Well, that was, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just like, oh, you dyed it. The one, (laughs) no, I didn't. The, the one shot where it was like super duper red one with the old uh, pinky salute with the old uh, shot of, um, grape juice, uh, (laughs) lemongrass. (laughs) I think because they used a flash, it kind of like, like really made it like neon red. Or maybe it was just always that way, Steve. I have no idea. Mm. The sad thing is, though, is uh, should I grow the goatee back? I think the red is dead and buried, unfortunately. Six feet under. Six feet under, unfortunately. Yeah. So six I, millimeters under. I maybe. think there's 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 like little hints of, of red. Little hints. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of the salt is starting to kind of like what you have right there, Steve. It's yeah. Amazing. Pirate Pepperbeard is what they call me, Rose. Pirate Pepperbeard. <laughs> Captain Pirate Pepperbeard. At your service. <laughs> oh, boy. Did you do anything fun at all for St. Patty's? Nope, I worked. You worked? Yeah, you know. As well you should. Yeah. Good man. You didn't take the lady out for anything? Nope. It is still the COVID-19 situation. So. Yep. What about at home? Nope. No corned beef and happy <laughs> cabbage? Happy cabbage? Happy cabbage? I have... Plenty of happy cabbage. Trust. That's that sounds so wrong. I have lots of happy cabbage. You um, probably need to prune your happy cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no uh, corned beef. We had corned beef, but mm, yeah, three weeks ago. Okay, it's the spirit of the thing. Way huh? before mm-hmm. St. Patty's Day, I was I was I had I prepared early. Excellent. Yeah. You're, you you were you were preparing for the exam very early. Uh-huh. Very nice. <coughs> Thank you <laughs> for not coughing directly <clears throat> into the microphone. I was tempted, aka into my brain. I was tempted. It's what happens when the saliva decides not to cooperate with your windpipe and uh, <laughs> mounts an <laughs> impromptu protest. <laughs> well, that's just we make a joke as he's recording. <laughs> oh boy, you sounded just like. Gaston's sidekick. What's his oh name? Oh my goodness, I did. You did. What was that character's name? <laughs> Gaston. <laughs> what is that guy? <laughs> it's like his like his little uh, crony. Oh um, gosh. Hold on. Gosh. Now I I see the the character's face. Beauty, none the best. <laughs> uh, come on. He even sang a song. Like he was, he was doing the Gaston song, right? Yeah. 
gosh, it's so sad to see you like this way, Gaston, or something like that. This is true, Russ. Man, why? where's the freaking cartoon here, M-Dib? You're yelling into the mic there, Steve. Uh, Audience is half deaf now. Yeah, I can fight here in a second. Yeah, Russ, I don't think it's going to come up here. Mm-hmm. I really don't think well, I think everybody knows to who it is that we are referring to, so... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I appreciate the uh, Lefou. Thank you very much. It okay, worked. I would have never have guessed that at all. <clears throat> anyway, uh, what is new in your world, Steve? What's uh, what have you been playing? What have you been watching, Ross? You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Well, we played a little bit of Overwatch, which we bombed. We pretty much sucked at it in every we, sense uh, of the word. Yeah, that was. We've, we've been bad. on this like downward uh, spiral of, I don't know what is, is going, I have a theory. I think that there is probably um, something that has been updated to the meta of the game. That's oh. the only thing I can think of. Because like I, I, was, I was telling you that night, like we are relatively competent at Overwatch. Like, I mean, we, we tend to win at least half the games we play, if not 60 to 70%. On some nights, if we're feeling extra saucy, we'll win about 80 to 90% of our games. It's not like they're just nerfing the characters that we play. I think we they we just, it wasn't our night. But, the, but, it, but it's been going on and on and on. It has not, last night was an overwhelming amount of lose. <laughs> Lose was in our immediate future. The other times it's been like, oh, you know, we we're kind of we've lost a little bit more than we won, or were we losing to win 50-50? Or we won more than you know, but it hasn't been like this consecutive loss, loss, loss. <laughs> you suck, don't even play the game. Loss. It hasn't been like that. That was just the other night. I have a feeling it was, well, no, because it was the, the week before as well, because we were playing Overwatch, and we got spanked pretty hard, too. In fact, if you listen to our previous Overwatch, Overwatch, our previous Joygasm podcast episode, we talk about Overwatch, and we talked about how we were doing pretty crappy back then as well. Yeah, not that crappy, though. When, last night was the crappiest. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we surrounded by feces? I have no idea. <laughs> But no, so um, I am barely, I'm, yeah, I'm just about to complete uh, Jurassic Park. I'm going to complete it. And I'd probably just delete it and never play it again. I, I imagine I rest. Um, I got almost 50 hours into the game. Oh, man, I tell you what, though. It, it, it has, it, what it does to me, you get these contracts in the game. Contracts as simple as like, oh, Go do an expedition for an herbivore, a giant herbivore. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool, I'll do that. And so, and, and then you complete the contracts, you get some money, whatever. Sure. The thing is, is that each little thing you do is, it, it gives you, it takes only a little bit amount of time to complete, and then it gives you money, and then you go to the next contract, or you have to do some updates in the park, whatever. And you don't really think it's taken that much time. Uh-huh. But then you look at the time and how much time has transpired, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's like after one in the morning. What am I doing? I gotta get up in the morning. I gotta get up and go to work. Uh-huh. I cannot stay up as late as I used to, Russ. As you used to. I feel it. I'm sure you do. 
Yeah, last couple nights I've gone to bed like at 1.30, which back five years ago, no problem. Welcome to your 40s. Not a problem. Like, Welcome uh, to the 4.0, Steve. Uh, I could probably watch another movie or something. You know, whatever. Now, jeez, forget I'm it. I'm telling you, when you're in your 20s, pass oh, out. You could, you could stay up most of the night. Sleep a few hours and bounce out of bed as if nothing happened whatsoever. You were good to go. Did you get um, attacked by the T-Rex at all? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if like, the T-Rex the, the T-Rex was like all like roaring and stuff and all of a sudden he looked at you he was like <laughs> Might be a DLC or something Russ, but uh <laughs> Um that hasn't happened yet. Oh. oh, have you seen the T-Rex? I've seen and created a T-Rex and heard him yell. And yes, he does sound like the one in the movie. Good. As well he should. Um, or he she. Is, you never know. He is very happy slaughtering my dinosaurs that I've already made. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> watch this. <laughs> but I, it allows you to mess with the, the DNA, some of the dinosaurs. Oh. And so I made like a really buff out, just aggressive, you know, healing quick triceratops, and I've gored him. Really? Yeah. Did he die? Yeah, I did. Wow, you killed the T-Rex. I did. Cost me a million bucks, but I did it. I was getting what? tired of all the killing. My goodness. So I put an end to it by killing him. Very and nice. draw out a crowd, too, so that I made up my losses. Mm-hmm. It's all business, Ross. I see. Very but, nice. Yeah. Anyhow. How about you? I played some more Cyberpunk 2077. You don't say. I just did. Uh, not too much, though. Like, like I've been with the Xbox Series X version, continued to go through and just look for the crimes that are currently happening around the city itself, uh -huh. as well as other types of crimes that are not necessarily, like, in the midst of happening, but, like, it, once you get there, it, it kind of spawns. Um... Speaking of which, not uh -huh. not not crimes, not cyberpunk. Actually, I've been looking at the cover of cyberpunk thinking, oh, I'd really love to play you sometime. <laughs> I don't get epilepsy, but um, my neighbor started to code for Microsoft. Really? And he was generous enough to say, hey, when we get some in stock, some Microsoft Xboxes, Series X. <laughs> He said he would pick me up one. Oh. Yeah. So does he have any kind of ETA as to when that would happen? Um, He doesn't have an exact date, no. But I said, hey, as long as you give me it before May, I'll be happy. Well, you'll have to throw him a little extra bone there of yeah, appreciation. I said I would. I said, yeah. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll toss you something. He goes, no, you're my neighbor. Don't worry about it. I'm like, no, no. You're doing something nice. Does he have one already? Uh, he has, I think he has a one X. I don't, I, I think that's what he has. One X. Does he have any interest in getting the series X at some point? I think eventually he does, but he's busy. pretty, pretty crazy busy. He teaches a class at night and then he codes during the day. Oh, wow. He's beat and he's single income for his family. So he's, <laughs> he's got to have a whole lot of time. Good for him. Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. Yes. Uh, that was kind of the gist of, of what I was doing with that. I was actually on Reddit, and uh, I was looking through one of the, the channels on there, 
and someone had posted something about Pan Am. Um, it was interesting in the sense that, well, and you have, uh, I shouldn't be talking about this because you haven't played it. Okay. Basically, I'm going to try and make this as nebulous as possible, but yet still have some sort of semblance. Ow! Since I just totally hit my funny bone. There is a moment that I have experienced twice already in the game because I have two life paths going on in Cyberpunk 2077. One of which is the Nomad, the other of which is the Street Kid. I am also in the process of beginning to do the Corpo lifestyle. However, I'm holding off on that one until I finish up the Nomad lifestyle because I've already beaten the game with Street Kid. I'm now going into the, the Nomad portion of it. So, there is a certain thing that happens that has happened to me on both occasions. Yet when I saw it in video, this person got a completely different type of option slash response as it applies to Pan Am. And it was awesome. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like I had no idea that even existed. And I feel like it's a true testament to once again, um, the, the narration and the, or the, or the narrative, the storytelling in the game is really well thought out. Granted, there are certain things that I wish they would have added into it on top of what they already have. However, what they've been able to achieve with these different life paths and with the different dialogue trees, I mean, it really makes the replayability that much more rich and engaging. Like it, it provides incentive for me to want to be able to go through and play. So, I mean, I've put in like, I don't know, 700 hours, 700. I've put f over 500 alone in the PC version. Whew. And what's irritating is that the Xbox version, at least the last time I looked, they don't actually show you how much time you spent. You know how sometimes you look through your profile on Xbox and it'll actually say like, oh, you've spent like, like Sea of Thieves. X amount of hundreds of hours or thousands of hours or whatever. Yeah, for some reason, they don't list it. They probably don't want you feeling like you're wasting your life away. <laughs> it's not wasting. That's living. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to also show you this ah. brand new statue that has become available of the Margot Robbie Harley Quinn character specifically from Suicide Squad. Suicide this is Squad. this is a uh, uh, bust, if you will. And so it's a waist up rendition and the likeness is on point, in my opinion. I mean, uh, I was, uncanny. I was really, really impressed with how the artists and sculptors were able to get it to look this much like Margot Robbie. So you can see like this is kind of more of a, a establishing shot more on the backside where you can see basically it's like from like her and you know, what's really funny is that if you look at the lower part here with like this kind of like suicide squad styled uh, colored cloud with the, the stars and stuff, it almost looks like her intestines. <laughs> but um, anyway, really, really cool to see. It comes with the baseball bat that she uh, uses in the film as well as one of her like really gaudy looking pistols has the daddy's little monster shirt that she's wearing with all the tears and stuff on it. Um, the pigtails with like the pink and blue uh, hair dye on both sides. So really, really impressive. Um, it's supposed, I believe, be released around 2022 at some point. 
But this is the first time, and I've seen a number of different instances of the Margot Robbie, um, Harley Quinn styled statue. And there have been a number of other ones that have been pretty nice, like pretty, pretty good. But this is the first time I've seen one where I'm like, whoa, like if you were to actually have Margot stand next to this, I think that it would probably be pretty darn close. What's crazy too is if you look at the, of the dimensions on this, uh-huh. the height is about two and a half feet uh, tall yeah. and the depth is almost three feet. It's 34.6 inches, which I was surprised about. I didn't expect it to be that deep. I mean, that's I want to say it's almost, uh, it's probably about the uh, the depth of the table that we're using here. Or like a regular body. You know what, Steve? Uh-huh. You make a lot of sense. It would be like she was sitting right here, but was through the table. Indeed. Absolutely. You're like, hey, what's up, Margo? <laughs> You're not real. Never mind. I'm talking to a doll. <laughs> it's not a doll, Steve. It's a statue. It's polystone. <laughs> that, they actually have used some sort of Mannequin. like, I can't remember what Mark. the materials are called, but it's like, the. It, it, I guess in the medical profession, they, they use it somewhat as well. Mm. Unfortunately, I'm not pre-med, therefore I have no idea. Hmm. However, I do know of a couple of people from the various uh, social media groups who are fellow statue collectors who have pre-ordered. So it'll be interesting to see what what the production version looks like, as that is the prototype that we just looked at there. Yeah. And yeah, DJ makes me want to bust out all my statues. It will happen at some point. Once we have the studio yeah, properly decorated. Once that cardboard deteriorates, you won't have a choice. <laughs> You're like willing the cardboard to turn into like dust. Uh, so on top of that, there was this other thing that I stumbled upon, okay. which I think is a lot of fun to talk about. And that is there is this Batman Returns behind the scenes video on YouTube that got posted by Warner Brothers recently. And it's called Batman Returns Shadow of the Bat. And it's about a half hour long and it chronicles this, just this wonderful featurette of what all went into the creation of Batman Returns. And so you can see Tim Burton and then Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Keaton, Danny DeVito, all um, kind of uh, in their element uh, when, they're, when the cameras are not on. And for someone like myself, who's like an absolutely uh, huge Batman fan, I was a big fan just to, to be able to sit down and, and drink this in because <laughs> there was a lot of, of fun little tidbits and trivia and that sort of thing that was going on. And, and plus, it's just great to be able to see like like you see Tim Burton there. Um, you know, he's he's uh, in his younger years as opposed to how he is uh, now. And um, some of the things that they talk about is how. Um, after he did Batman, the studio really wanted him to do a sequel. And the way they got Tim to come and do the sequel was they actually said, Hey, let's do a Tim Burton version of Batman because the first one was kind of more based on like the comics and kind of more of like that black and white uh, film noir style, that sort of thing. And so Tim got to really have um, free reign over what he was doing and I think at the time it was very edgy. Like people were not prepared for how dark it was and, and uh, some of the, the different directions he took as it, as it applied to like what the characters went through and that sort of thing. And they talk about how, like when they did like um, uh, screen tests and stuff, how, like by the end of the movie, they were like kids crying and mothers like, what is happening? What is going on? And, 
And I remember even like when we saw it, cause, cause we convinced our mom to take us to go see it in the theater. Um, I remember thinking to myself, man, this is a kind of a departure a bit from the first Batman movie. I still really liked it. But what's interesting is that over the decades of um, watching it over and over and revisiting it, there is actually a lot to this film that I didn't either identify or appreciate when I was younger. But looking at the various themes that Tim was exploring, I mean, he, he was looking at like women's equality. He was looking at a lot of the corporate greed and corruption um, he, he was also just um, exploring Batman and Bruce Wayne in, in different capacities. And even with the, the, the characters themselves, I really enjoyed the relationships between the two. And you see like kind of the dichotomy between Batman versus Penguin, uh, as well as even Catwoman really to a certain extent. The other thing that was fantastic about this film was the screenplay. The writing in this, the lines that, that each of the characters would say were so sharp and snappy, like... The, it was literally like as if you were reading a comic book or a graphic novel where they had kind of those double entendres and those metaphors and similes and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, it, like, it, like if you think of like the penguin, he's like, gotta fly. And then like, you see his little umbrella go, and he goes uh, flying up, you know, geez. you know, it's one of those things where like, if certain people were to try and use those lines, it would fail miserably. But because Danny DeVito totally embraced that role, it was like, yes, give me more. So anyway, I highly encourage everyone who is a fan of, of Batman to, to go and check that out because there's a lot of, of nuggets in there, including, I will say one, this is a kind of like a minor spoiler, like toward the end of it. Tim Burton was talking about how after he finished Batman Returns, now he was on fire to make another sequel. He was, he was ready to do Batman 3. And he went into the studio offices and started to pitch an idea for the third one. And the it was the studio who were kind of balking at that point, going, ah, comic books aren't cool anymore. <laughs> it, was, it was the funniest <laughs> thing because like he Tim started talking about how like midway through this meeting, he stops and he leans back in his chair and he looks at the execs and he says, you don't want me to direct the third movie, do you? And he says, and, and the response was, oh, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what we're saying at all. <laughs> no, no, no. And it was the funniest thing because at that moment, um, or shortly thereafter, the meeting kind of ended and Tim was like, okay, well, I guess I'll, I, I won't keep pushing for it then. And, and it just kind of stopped. And you can see how in uh, the, basically the, the third Batman film, Batman Forever, it was then passed over to Joel Schumacher to direct, which was crazy because Joey I, Shoes. I thought that Tim Burton was burned out on Batman after doing Batman Returns because it was such a huge production and all these different moving parts and everything else. And plus, he probably had other stories he wanted to tell. This completely turns that upside down where I was like, oh, we could have actually had a, a Tim Burton Batman 3 movie. Is that in the clip as well? What? That whole scene? What scene, Steve? With uh, him getting shut down. Uh, no, Steve. But it has ah, him talking about it. Sucks. I seriously doubt they would have cameras rolling in the <laughs> office when he was trying <laughs> to convince like, them. Can you tell me that again, please? <laughs> 1992. <laughs> somehow he has like an iPhone. He's like, so. Yeah. <laughs> what'd you say? Could you speak up a little louder? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, if only they had smartphones oh, back in the boy. early 90s. We're not saying you we don't want you to direct a third movie. We just don't want you to direct it right now. Sure. <laughs> We're going to have someone else direct the third movie now. And then we can talk about the third movie later. Yeah. Much later. The one trade-off, <laughs> though, is that by him not doing a third Batman movie, we did get several other of his his stories and films sure. right. that came out afterwards that could have gotten either delayed or never made as a result if he were to do Batman 3. So, I, you know, it's, I go back and forth. I'm, I'm conflicted, Steve. I'm conflicted. Uh, there's another thing I wanted to share with you, which I know you're going to appreciate, which is the fact that there is a article from videogameschronicle.com. Mm. <clears throat> it talks about Ghost of Tsushima devs to be made permanent ambassadors of the real island. Um, and this, I think, is such a success story. Um, it says that creative leads to be honored for spreading the name and history of Tsushima. The real Japanese island of Tsushima has given a prestigious award to two senior members of the Ghost of Tsushima development team. Game director Nate Fox and creative director Jason Connell will become permanent tourism ambassadors of the city of Tsushima in Nagasaki, the island announced this week. And that so, guy on the right has a great haircut, by the way. He's, uh, looks like you. Very sharp. The ceremony will be held digitally due to travel restrictions, and the pair will be presented with the award in the letter of appreciation. To mark the occasion, the city said it will collaborate with Sony Interactive Entertainment to set up a new tourism campaign based on the game, which is designed to encourage fans to learn more about the island and its key landmarks. I think that a story like this is fantastic because here's a game that you and I have loved. Like we yeah. really enjoyed the experience yeah. of playing the game. One of the things that we constantly talk about is the attention to detail, attention to the culture, the customs. And that's something that, that we always look for, especially in, in a game like this. And to see it be recognized by the real world counterpart and have this, this kind of, again, it's, it's a ceremony. Like, like they want to be able to really induct these two individuals who led this team into something that will probably be around for quite some time. And again, the game Ghost of Tsushima is an entertainment item. It's designed to just, you know, entertain those who play the game. And that was about the extent of it. You have appreciation for it and that sort of thing. So I think it's fantastic to be able to have a situation like this where due to all the hard work that the team has gone through to have the officials of this place that you recreated extend out the, the, this level of gratitude. It, it's, man, it's, it's such the cherry on top to a story like this. One day you're making a game. The next you're an ambassador to a foreign island there, Russ. I think it's pretty awesome. Pretty freaking awesome. One of the other things, too, that I was looking at this week, uh, this is a little bit older news, but I figure it's good to be able to just go over is the fact that, yes, indeed, for 2021, mm -hmm. Comic-Con has been canceled. There is not going to be any kind of physical show. However, they are going to do an all-digital um, presentation online. The same can be said for WonderCon. Um, it will be virtual, but there will not be anything that's physical uh, in terms of, of showing up and checking out all the stuff in the physical. E3, 
Same kind of deal. Uh, the live event has been canceled. According to LA city documents, they will be doing the whole online thing just like they did in 2020. So there's, there's an ongoing repetition to what we experienced last year, which I think is a good thing. Honestly, it's like, okay, we're not quite ready yet. Let, let's just be cautious. Let's take preventative measures. And to be honest, like a lot of the stuff that they make available <laughs> online is pretty robust. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Like we've had a lot of fun going through a lot of the videos and like what's nice about it is that you don't have to wait in line for a lot of stuff anymore. Like, like you did before. That's actually pretty cool. And you get to save quite a bit of cash. Like if you're like us, you know, we're not in LA, so we'd have to fly out there, get hotels, so on and so forth. So with, uh, with the E3 thing, I know last year they go, Oh, hold on while we start the show in a little bit. I mean, are they pre-recording everything and being, and then just dropping it? Or are they going to do like live? Hey, I'm going to click on Skype and now I'm going to ask you four questions and then we're going to show your game kind of deal. I think for the game studios, it's probably going to be pre-recorded. I, I have a feeling that's what's, what's going to happen. In terms of Comic-Con, though, I think they will probably have live online panels. Like, I mean, they, they did it last yeah, year. Yeah, well, I, I, I would expect so with Comic-Con. And DC, like DC, for instance, did a really nice job where like Jim Lee, for instance, was available and was interviewed live. And I think they even took some questions from the fans. Um, so, I mean, you do have some sort of semblance of community that's there, which I think is quite nice if I'm not being uh, too subtle about there, Steve. Indeed. Well, you can trust us. It's time for the topic of the day. Topic of the day is the Raya and the Last Dragon movie review. We are going to be starting out with our high-level thoughts, spoiler-free, of course, before <laughs> taking the spoiler elevator down and doing a spoiler-filled analysis of the movie. Steve, what did you think of the film? Well, Russ, I'm starting to think more and more that I'm not Disney's target market. That's not true. Yeah, you know. Uh, you get a little bit of a diva over here. Uh, some of the stuff, I think Disney. Uh, I'm going to digress a little bit here. I, I, I'm glad Disney's acquiring all these properties because, I mean, there, there's stuff that I do like. But the original Disney stuff, I don't know. That's just less and less for me. But um, back to the movie. You know, this is one they charged 30 bucks. The last one I uh, watched for 30 bucks was Mulan. Wasn't too satisfied with that one either. That was a live action version. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Okay, okay, sure, I'll stop. Yeah. That wasn't on Disney Plus. How'd you watch it? I was on Disney Plus. The, the live, you had Disney Plus when the live action Mulan was first released? Yes. Okay, continue. I'm glad everything I tell you goes in one ear. Doesn't stick. Goes right out the other. Thanks, Russ. Uh, Appreciate that. Love you. You say a lot of crap, so uh, my filters get a little overwhelmed. <laughs> Anyhow, 
Uh, so the movie, yeah, you know what? I don't think this one's going to hit the classic charge anytime soon. Um, I really appreciated the the animation. The animation was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I appreciated like the the voice. The voice acting that all the characters did, uh, especially with Raya, mm-hmm. uh, she did a great job. Um, but the story and the humor just completely lost me, and I didn't even laugh. No, I I did laugh, but it wasn't at a joke from the movie. I laughed at my wife laughing at the movie, but she didn't laugh that much. She kind of chuckled that, so I don't remember even laughing. Well, I thought the humor was just kind of meh. And the story didn't uh, grab me by the ghoulies. It just kind of felt a little uh, little shallow. Um, not real that not in depth whatsoever, and I I think this this movie would be better if it was brought out as a series, like seven episodes or five episodes or something like that, versus a movie. Hmm. I think the movie was it was too much crammed together, and they just shoved it in your face and said enjoy it, and then you know I don't know. At the end, I I just. Didn't care for whatsoever. It's not going to be one I'm going to watch again. Well, out of curiosity, when you were watching the live action Mulan, was it also $30? Yes. Interesting. That's what I said earlier, Russ. I know. I was confirming. Huh? Because I thought that that was the kind of a first time thing for mm. this movie. No. Interessante. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, the next time a $30 Disney movie comes out, I might just have to wait till it's for free. No, Russ. You always call me cheap, but then I go, okay, fine. I'll go out and spend 30 bucks. And then I spend it, and then it kind of... Not, not always uh, call you cheap. I, I, I say cheap on occasion. Just 75% of the time. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. Well, if the shoe fits. I knew you were going to say that just then. If the Birkenstock fits. Didn't know I was going to say that, did you? <laughs> I had a picture in my mind. I uh, Anyway. So, those are my high-level thoughts. Well, thank you for sharing, Steve. Do you uh, concur? I, For the most part, yes. Um, I will say that I am very confused as to how Disney decides to do their premiere um, premium payment structure system thingy. The premiere plus positive... How do you, yeah, it's it's weird because on the one hand they had movies um, like they, well they had Soul and they had um, Hamilton, hmm. both come out and as long as you had the Disney Plus subscription it was free like there there wasn't any kind of additional payments on top of that and so then Raya comes out and they charge thirty dollars so I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around like, okay how are they how are they going about deciding this and I honestly I think. Um, it probably has more to do with testing, honestly. Like, like they're just trying to see mm. what works, what doesn't work, that sort of thing. I do think that the film was a great example of uh, cultural exploration. I'm always a fan of when films kind of take a, a an opportunity to be able to go through different parts of the world, or maybe it's a fantasy world or something like that. I, I always applaud that. Um, just because sometimes uh, when it comes to certain movies that, that have to do with either Disney or Pixar, it's very easy to become formulaic to stick with a lot of the comfort zones. I mean, they could have like Toy Story 12 with Pixar if they wanted to, but luckily they don't. They actually have a nice catalog of different types of, of places they go and visit and that sort of thing. The same can be said for Disney. You know, we're like, 
you have uh, Seoul, or if you want to go um, to Moana, or you know, just it just depends on, on like kind of like, what what what's what's striking your fancy at any given moment, you know. So. The movie is also gorgeous. I, I sound like a broken record when I talk about this, but I think that it is such an exciting time. And it, actually, you know what? It's always been exciting to be involved in computer animation. Any, any kind of CGI film that we have seen has at one point in time in history been on the cutting edge. It's interesting to me how if you were to go back and you watch maybe some of the, the older films, they haven't aged as gracefully as say some of the um, traditional 2d cell animation films. But having said that I have the utmost respect and love for those older films, regardless on a technical merit though, when it comes to Raya, they're really pushing the envelope in terms of the, the hair and cloth simulation and dynamics, the, the, um, the, uh, Ambient occlusion. Sorry, I had a little bit of a hiccup there mentally. <laughs> I'm like, hiccup. Yeah. Work, brain, cooperate. <laughs> Come on, start it. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but, any, but looking at all those different types, I mean, the water itself, I remember commenting to my wife, and she was even commenting back to me about how realistic the water was in the film. So, yeah, it's always a treat to see kind of what all the different CG artists and engineers ha have cooked up with every single film that has come out. I also appreciated how they not only went to a different part of the world, but they also decided to take more of a fantasy approach to the style. And I think that's really cool because Disney in the classical sense, if it has to do with fantasy, it's more with like, you know, fairy godmothers or lots of fairy dust and sparkles and stuff. And that's all well and good. I mean, that, that has its place. What's interesting about Raya is that they took more of a fantasy land that has never been seen before. And one of the things is, this is not a spoiler at all, but like, if you look at the trailer at some point, she's kind of going through this kind of uh, deserty area I absolutely loved those types of scenes because it makes my brain all of a sudden fill in all the gaps and create some sub stories and stuff about what could have happened here at this place at a certain time. And it has kind of like that never ending story type of uh, vibe. So I dig that. Yeah. I think the never ending story vibe you're thinking of is that Falcorn from the never ending story was Pretty darn similar to Sisu in this story. Okay, so that is... I <laughs> you it is, look it up. It is pretty nutty for you to make that comparison because now that I think about it, I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> I was... I, I have to say, I was really worried that you were going to bring up the horse in the sinking uh, quicksand. That is by far the most traumatic thing that any child <laughs> can witness especially when the acting by the child actor is so convincing and you see this horse slowly like going into this. Oh my gosh. That, that was, was terrible. That was awful. But that movie, what am I watching? What am I watching? Oh, oh man. Horse. I think I was like in third grade when I saw that movie as well. ago. Gosh, that was a long time ago. Great movie. Really, really cool movie. The sequel. Not so great. Yeah. The kid yells a lot in that movie. He's like, he's always yelling. Well, think about what's happening to him. I know. It's all kinds of, I mean, I, where am I going to find it? I'm like, I'm standing right here in front of you. You got to <laughs> scream at me like that. <laughs> Very passionate, that boy. 
Well, I totally lost my train. <laughs> I'm thinking about this other film now. You were, um, oh, yeah, that. Raya's sword is awesome. Yeah, I knew you were going to mention that. The idea of it being able to kind of turn into like this like really sharp bladed whip and have that extension and everything else. I guess it was her father's sword. Right. Yeah. Because she started out with those little sticks at first. Yeah, little batons. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it reminded me of one of my favorite game characters, Ivy from Soul Calibur. Mm. Love her weapon. Love her uh, outfit too, bros. Come on. Well, well, let's be well, real. Come on. She's awesome. And uh, yeah, all that stuff, really, really cool. And one of the final things about the high-level thoughts is that the, the film makes it a point to explore themes of trust, family, and really the human condition as it applies to both of those things. And, you know, how does a family survive certain types of situations? How do families... Um, all of a sudden go from trusting one another to not trusting one another and some of the fallouts that occur as well as some of the, the redemptions that, that happen hopefully in different lifestyles. Well, I, I would say forgiveness is in there a little bit too. Forgiveness is now you saying sorry. Are you sorry? Come with me into the calm elevator, Steve. <clears throat> Where was that from? You never seen Just Friends? No. <gasps> With Ryan Reynolds? No. Okay, that is on your to watch list. That is a fantastically funny movie. Ryan Reynolds plays this like talent agent that is babysitting this uh, music pop star and he finds like like this old high school flame of his and stuff and he has like total hijinks with his younger brother it is awesome highly recommended interesting question I have for you Steve is uh, what's that Russ you trust me in this elevator nope just a little bit nope <laughs> I leave it all to chance either what is the Probability he's going to toot <laughs> or he make me use the stairs. Being that you let me in the elevator, you're probably going to toot. I lovingly refer to it as crop dusting. Yeah, and you love it. Crop dusting my lungs. <laughs> <laughs> or better yet, like, you know. No, I don't. Doing the old the old fart and then blocking the doorway so then you can't get out. Yeah, that's fun. We are now into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen the film, we encourage you to pause us and go watch it. Otherwise, if you don't care, then let us continue. So I have a number of things in here that I would like to share with you, Steve, as well, well as our audience. Okay. Is that okay with you? Yeah. The, uh, okay. The first thing I want to discuss is the dragon Sisu. So not can be, not to be confused with Seesaw. No. In fact, my, uh, daughter works in an activity. It's like, it's called Seesaw. Part of the cool. joys of online learning for elementary school. Anyway, when it comes to Sisu, so 
I liked the the idea of having a dragon character, right? Sure. I like the idea of having this companion, this this some sort of uh, magical creature that is able to go on this adventure with Raya and that sort of thing. However, I th- there, I have two main issues with this character. The What's first, the first, first, yeah, yeah. The first yeah, yeah. Uno first. Mm-hmm. The first issue is <laughs> that. You can tell that the creators had a bit of an identity crisis with the character. And what I mean by that is, on the one hand, like when we are first introduced to the character Sisu, she's really kind of goofy, right? Like like she has kind of that standard Disney comic relief, which I was anticipating because I was thinking, okay, maybe they're going to go down the path of Genie from, from Aladdin, for instance, like when Genie is finally revealed yeah. and... You're not sure what to expect. All of a sudden, he's hilarious. The issue, though, with this is that that's how it starts. But then it's almost like like she be she starts to morph into more of this wise, old, revered, majestic dragon persona that you would um, almost kind of also anticipate, given the fact that her archetype is in fact a dragon. And, uh, you know, to give you an example, like Dragonheart, right? Sure. One of the best renditions of a dragon. I am the last one. Exactly. Draco, voiced by the fantastic... Sean Connery. Sir Sean Connery. Light. Great. The light. Sean Connery, yes. I am the last one. That's just, that's one of the... Would you like to play some hacky sack? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that film... You know, it has its own version of campiness and that sort of thing. But in terms of Draco, the character, I could totally get behind that character. I thought he was a lot of fun. I thought that um, there are certain types of parallels in terms of how Draco was trying to, to make the knight, you know, someone who was worthy of Draco and, Mm -hmm. and everything else as well as if you look at Raya and and you look at Sisu and how she's trying to also kind of like appeal to the better side of humanity and and everything else. So it's, you know, kind of interesting. The issue that I have though with that is that the film can't decide which one that Sisu is going to be. And so as an, as an audience member, I'm kind of like, okay, how am I supposed to, to move forward with this character? I'm not exactly sure. That may be more from an adult perspective because my daughter loves the character. My daughter loves the film, so it's it's neither here nor there. Um, when it comes to what was the other thing I was going to say about Sisu, Steve? That was oh. going to be what I was going to ask you. <laughs> I'll ask myself the question and answer it. <laughs> so the other issue I have with Sisu is I didn't care for the the voice actor. Who Aquafina? Aquafina, yes. I feel as though the voice did not match the character, and I didn't think that her comedic timing really worked. And I'm, I mean, this is just one person's opinion. There may be people out there who actually really enjoyed her performance. I just happen to not really uh, dig it that much. What do you think? No, I thought she was miscast. I I wasn't really digging her voice whatsoever. I think the I think her voice works for her comic bits, like when she's doing her own thing. Before this movie, I, I really didn't see it as as working. But I think it was also due to partially um, how her lines were scripted. I mean, she just had the, it's like the off the wall lines. Uh, the jokes were so repetitive. I, I, at some point, I guess I could forgive. Uh, 
the 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 voice being miscast if her lines were better. But because they kept repeating like a, a bunch of jokes about how she could keep how she was a great swimmer and all this kind of other stuff and how she just give a gift and everything would be okay. I don't know. I did. To me, the whole thing just didn't work. I think probably my favorite part, or maybe not favorite is the is the right way of, of saying it, but like the the parts that I actually enjoyed with Sisu was when she was just being sincere. There was a certain sincerity, um, like for instance, any time that she was able to um, imbue the power of one of her siblings from one of the the fragments of the crystal ball, right? I really liked how she delivered those lines and how she reflected on, oh, this is my brother's power. Oh, this is my sister's power. And having that 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 look um, or that expression come across Sisu's face where it's simultaneously gratitude as well as like bittersweet memories of her sibling and reflection as to like, you know, how unique that sibling was. It, it was a very fleeting thing. But every time we saw that, I, that was something I thought they nailed it. I was like, okay, that's cool. I didn't get that at all. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I, I didn't get sentimental whatsoever. She's like, oh, yeah, my brother did this. This is pretty cool. Yeah, oh, I changed colors. Isn't that cool? It's weird. Moving on. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Uh, so when it came to one of the themes, once again, one of the main overarching themes in the film is trust. So naturally you're going to have a lot of deceit and selfishness. Selfishness. Sean Connery's back. Uh, a lot of selfishness. <laughs> yeah. Sean Connery is making you to stop it. So, uh, <laughs> One of the things, though, that, that I do find surprising is actually the the level of deceitfulness in the film. Like, we see it with um, the, the daughter of Fang when she's introduced to Raya, and you see this whole thing kind of unfold where you think, oh, she's like, she's the one person out of, out of this, this um, um, multi-regional get-together that actually doesn't have... Um, a bone to pick with them and that sort of thing. And then you see like this total 180 and it's like, whoa, like I, it's a testament to the animators because a lot of the facial expressions on the, the daughter's face, not Raya, but the other one was uh man. Like it, it was, it, I don't really know what the word is, but it's like, grabbed you by the ghoulies. I, there, it was very realistic. It, it, it was, it's the kind of expressions that like, if you get betrayed or if you, you know, if your trust is betrayed, that sort of thing okay. that like, there's a lot out there. So kudos to them for being able to do that. Or like, you know, later on the film, for instance, they're trying to define a certain leader from one of the factions. And it turns out to be that, that old lady who's like totally leading on Sisu uh, in the was, human form. And yeah, like, I think it was voiced by Betty White. And, and she, you know, she's always fabulous, but like looking at what goes on and, you, and again, you see that, that turn of, of face where it's like, she goes from this sweet old lady who's trying to, you know, who you think is like bailing out, um, Sisu because she's trying to buy everything on credit. And then you, she shows her true colors and you're like, man, that's just kind of creepy. So there are multiple examples of that throughout the film. I don't think that was Betty White, Russ. I don't think that was Betty White. You don't think it was Betty White? I don't think it's Betty White. I don't think it was Betty White. Well, well sh should we check? We should probably check. I thought that... I'll check since you're slow. The theme of 
like forgiving people or not really forgiving, but trusting people mm-hmm. so quick and soon. I thought, it, I thought like the message. Yeah. Okay, fine. I, I get that. But I think it was used in the wrong way. Like if you were done dirty so many times, so bad <laughs> by I was what had happened semi clean <laughs> in the movie, like this person, because of their greed, wiped out a good chunk of population just because they wanted to have this jewel, which ended up in any way just being a piece of the jewel, not even the whole jewel. Mm-hmm. And so not even acknowledging that you did something wrong and basically re- released Armageddon in a sense. <laughs> like you, you can't acknowledge that, but then I'm supposed to trust you to do the right thing. Why? You know, and, and then even towards the end, when everybody's basically turned the stone and they have no other option, she, the, uh, Namari still takes the jewel and goes, okay, I think I'm going to go. And she starts running off with like, and she goes, "Mm, oh, maybe, maybe it's best. I just put it back together, you know? And then she comes back in and tries to fit the thing. And then, yeah, everybody, you know, she ends it. But it's like every time we're supposed to trust people, something bad happens. Yeah. And I almost think that <laughs> your throat made some sort of second I, opinion. I know I was going to say something else <laughs> and then you were going to say something and then my throat jumped before I did. Oh my. It's almost like if, if, if the movie is for little kids, you don't want necessarily want little kids to trust everybody because there's just bad people in the world. Kind of like there was bad people in the movie uh-huh. and there's, and, and it's just kind of a unfortunate aspect of life. There's there's going to be bad people in the world. There are bad people in history. There's going to be bad people in the future. There's some bad people now. And you can't just trust people altogether in general because you're going to get burned. There, there's a level of like, you know, keep some people at arm's length. Let some folks into the inner circle. But otherwise, if you trust everybody as a general rule, you're going to be gullible and you're going to get hurt. Well, and I, and I think that the idea of trust is a noble one. I think that in terms of in a, you know, in a perfect world that, yes, it would be absolutely fantastic to be able to, to have trust on tap, right? Like, like you want to be able to, to have that. And, and to your point, I mean, like that, that just unfortunately isn't the case. And I think that that's one of the challenges of the film where you have these different regions and, and just in the, in the people within them that have been dealt a really bad hand over the time. Um, and even within those places that they visit those different regions, what <laughs> I can tell you're trying not to laugh. I'm like, I'm, I'm really being serious over yeah, here. I'm, like, not, I'm not making a joke. She doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they got screwed over. How do I keep my serious face on? <laughs> Anyway, um, so it go, it, yeah, it goes back and forth when, when it comes to you want to be able to have a message of a utopian world, right? Something that people can aspire to, that, that they can strive f- towards. But the realistic thing about it, too, is that you want to be guarded to a certain extent. And I, I mean, someone like myself, like I understand this because while I don't necessarily like just trust like everybody just come comes along one of the things that I have kind of a natural um, t- 
tendency to do is I'm more of an optimist, right? Like I see the glasses half full. That's just naturally sure. how I am. As a result of that, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. Like mm. I, I like to, to be proven wrong basically as to whether or not a person is, is, a, is, you know, a good human being or kind of a not so good human being. So yeah, I mean, it goes back and forth with that. I have another note on here too. Do you? I was surprised at the amount of fighting in this movie. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I was thinking about, because my daughter has watched the movie like 10 times at least by now. I mean, she, she loves the movie. So I, as a result, I watched the movie 10 times. One of the things that I thought about was how um, there's, there's kind of a, a comparison between the old school Disney versus the new school Disney. When I think of the a lot of the animated feature films that Walt Disney created back in the day, those were more cerebral in nature where he had more of the emotional trauma or the, the mental conflict, the, the mind games, that sort of thing. There wasn't a lot of physicality in terms of like fisticuffs and that sort of thing in his films. And, you know, like, like to give you an idea, like if you think of Sleeping Beauty, for example, like the only real kind of like physical violence that you see in the movie is at the end when Prince Philip is trying to defeat Maleficent and she's in that dragon form and he throws the sword at her and everything else. And she like breathes fire on his shield. And I mean, that's kind of about it. Like he's hacking and slashing at uh, vines and thorny bushes and stuff. And, but it's, it's, that's just kind of it. Um, you know, the same can be kind of said for uh, Snow White. There's really no like like crazy amount of fighting or anything like that. Yeah, not. I was gonna. I was thinking of Little Mermaid, but there's no fighting in that. But except uh, Ursula gets impaled at the end. Well, and again, that's almost like an updated version of um, Sleeping Beauty when when uh, Prince Philip like throws his sword and, and it you know it sticks Maleficent like in the stomach or the chest yeah. or something like that. So. Um, you know, like Cinderella is another example where really the only kind of like physical violence that, that you see in the movie is when the, the two stepsisters rip apart the dress that um, Cinderella was going to wear to the ball. Other than that, like everything else, whether it was the stepsisters or even the stepmother, I mean, it was all up here. Like, like, like it was all kinds of mental abuse going on, which is crazy because even as a kid, it registered on a level of like that woman is not a good woman. <laughs> and so it's, it was interesting to see how it has transformed from that more of, like I said, more of like that cerebral uh, conflict to now more of a physical when it comes to a film like Raya. Um, and I think if I were to, to push it even one step further, a lot of, of what you would see in, in past Disney films, it's kind of more like fantasy fighting, right? Like you have like your magic wand and you like shoot some sort of fairy dust and it does something to someone else, you know, like, like one of my favorites is um, sword in the stone, you know, Merlin versus mad, mad, mim, <laughs> you know, the, want to fight? Want to have a wizard do? <laughs> As you wish, madam. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that is is really funny because they they intentionally inject uh, more of a, of a comic relief into that type of battle. <coughs> Excuse me. When it comes to Raya, however, there is more of a physical violence. I mean, like like obviously this this is more of a Southeast Asian theater 
so to speak, you know, the region of, of where this story takes place. So there are different forms of, of martial arts and combat, that sort of thing. However, it was done very realistically. So you're, I mean, I was essentially seeing, especially in the early parts of the film, these like you know, around 10 year old girls who are like punching each other in the face and kicking and everything else. And it's like, whoa. And I'm a full grown man. Like, I mean, I can hand, like, I mean, John Wick is like my bag. I love me some John Wick. So it's not like I'm being squeamish when it comes to a Disney movie. But in terms of being a dad, and looking at my six-year-old daughter who is starting to imitate some of the moves that she is witnessing 10 times over. On daddy. Uh, yeah, on daddy. Uh, that's that actually really fun to be able to wrestle and stuff. But when it comes to, okay, what is the lingering impression or influence this is having on my kid? That's one of the things where it's like, okay, well, I don't think it's, it's going too far, but it's going far enough where I'm like, it is making me feel a little uncomfortable as a parent. I can totally see that. So it's almost like not only does Sisu, like your point with Sisu, not really knowing who, to, what personality to follow or have an identity crisis kind of thing, but that's almost the impression the movie gives me where I, I you know, Disney would, would typically make a movie that has a very long Im impression. You could watch it as a kid and it's all oh, as a cartoon it's for kids, but you can watch it as an adult and appreciate it as, as art, even though you might not identify too much with the story anymore. But it, I mean, for the most part, it, it is for for children. And so this one, the way it's like the jokes and the script and the fighting makes it almost seem like it is for an older Disney audience, not older, like older, not <laughs> like you, you and I, ancient. Um, but like for example, in the preview, even though this is spoiler. She says, "Okay, I, I'm not. I'm kind of the reject dragon. I'm kind of like the if you have a study group and the in the I'm the dragon who's like the kid in the study group who doesn't do very much but still gets the A. Your six year old is going to have no clue what that means. Absolutely no clue. She's not going to know that until elementary school at least, right? Yeah, like Even fifth grade probably, or something. Yeah, yeah, or beyond that. So, um, I, which is probably going to be like what 11, 12, fifth grade. Uh, fifth grade is probably you know ten, eleven. So she needs to be like twice her age really to understand some of the jokes. And so that beyond and beyond that, though, with the fighting and um, a lot of the other like family dynamic stuff, it, it almost. But then again, with all like the cute characters and whatnot, it's almost like Disney made it to sell toys to the kids. But with the script for like still young, but older little kids. Yeah, I, I think that that's always one of the creative challenges that Disney has, right? It's like they want to be able to involve all family members in their movies. And if they get it right, which they do most of the time, uh, it's it's an enjoyable experience for for one and all, right? Like, I mean, if, if you were to, to count down any one of the, the many Disney films that have come out in the past, you know, like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast... Aladdin, Lion King, Hercules, even, I mean, if you want to go to 3D animated feature films, Moana, um, Tangled. Tangled is something I want to talk about for just a minute, which is I feel like Tangled was the perfect blending of what I love in like kind of more of like a Disney film, right? Where like you can have some, some physical fisticuffs in a way, but it's more playfully done and it helps to drive the, the story forward. 
And I and I love too how the the characters themselves. Like for instance, if you think about Rapunzel, Rapunzel also had to learn kind of the hard way about how she can't just go trusting everyone. But what was interesting was that her stepmom really kind of groomed her to not trust anyone. But then once she got into uh, kind of the real world, like out of her tower and then out and everything else, that was kind of one one of her disarming qualities was like as soon as she met certain people and that sort of thing people just instantly loved her they thought she was great like i love when they went to that pub and she's like ruffians thugs what is this you know by the end of it you know um they they sing that song i have a dream which also i mean that dovetails into the next thing which is that there was no singing in raya and the last dragon which was uh, odd because it's like it's a disney movie like i have come to be conditioned to expect different types of musical numbers in a, a Disney movie, which is fantastic. Like the, the people who come up with these songs, my goodness, like they become entrenched in pop culture forever once they're, they're done. But I can, I mean, if, if they decide they don't want to do that for certain Disney films too, I can respect that. It's not like a must have. No, especially when songs get stuck in your head after you've been, working in Target for eight hours a day, five days a week, and then <laughs> start thinking about them in your sleep. Yeah, you know, can give it a pass. Uh, one other note that comes to mind, too, is in terms of the, the voice acting, um, I know that they, I think they did hire um, folks of Asian descent when it came to the different character roles and stuff. However, there seemed to be kind of a, a emphasis on more of like a Western approach to like what was talked about or, or like kind of the, the banter uh, between the, the characters. Like, like give me an example when the, the two girls were looking at the map of Sisu and that sort of thing, the, the accents are totally Westernized and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm like totally like a dragon nerd and that sort of thing. And for me personally, and I think you, you, you would agree with this as well. Um, I really enjoy being immersed in different cultures and customs, that sort of thing. And movies are no different for me. When I know that I'm going to be transported to a Southeastern Asian fantasy land, um, it's, it's one, it comes with the expectation of, okay, well, great. Like I, I, I want to be able to, you know, take in the sights and, and be able to enjoy like some of the, the, the accents that exist and that sort of thing. And so it's, again, that one's not a major gripe, but it is something that like, had they gone back and, and made some changes, that would have been something that I think I would have appreciated. It, it's kind of like a, an overlooked detail. I mean, it's, it's not that important, but it's kind of like, why, why are we going to Southeast Asia if we're not going to like continue on that path. If we're just going to do a UE and come back to Western society, Western culture, it doesn't make sense to have that be the emphasis and then not script it accordingly. I don't know. I mean, if you watch like the cartoon of Mulan, I mean, not every person and not every character has an accent. I mean, right. there's, you know, there's, there's some humor there, but as far as the, the majority of the characters, yes, they do with a little sprinkling of, of like Western stuff. Not like everything is Western, but we're in Southeast Asia. Sure. Sure. And I get it too, where it's like, okay, they're also wanting to appeal to the, to a Western audience so that, that they can, you know, they can enjoy the movie to a certain extent. But I feel as though 
there is more of a desire. I would say, I would, I would argue that the overwhelming, overwhelming majority of folks, even um, from Western countries, would desire to have more of that um, kind of vocal, authentic experience. I did want to jump back to the other characters really quickly because we forgot to talk about a couple. Sure. Of them. One of which is the boy who's the cook on the boat. That is one of my, I, I actually, you know what? He is my favorite character out of, out of the movie. I really, I mean, he won me over instantly. He was not annoying at all. I loved how charming he was and how he was making the most of the fact that his family got turned to stone and he was still operating the business. And it was such a, an original character. I really enjoyed him. One of the things that I thought was really funny about more of like the, the, the brute, the, the soldier brute dude, he was like this weird mashup between one of the ruffians from Tangled that you found at the pub and like the main bad guy from Mulan. Like if you like squish them together, that was like what that guy was. I, I think they, that had I, to, I'll bet you that had to be intentional. They were like wanting to do kind of like a weird semi Easter egg or something. I don't know if, it, if it's an Easter egg. I think what Disney does is the way they model some characters, I think they have a formula that's like pretty widely accepted if they have these focus groups, which they probably do, saying, hey, what do you like? What do you not like about a facial structure or, you know, whatnot? Uh, or what do you, what do you, what's most pleasing or, or whatever you want to call it? And I think they'll say, okay, yeah, this, this type of face looks great. And so we'll take a, this face and we'll make some variations to it, but then we'll make like 10 characters out of this one face. And so you'll, and I think that's almost why. And, I, and you know what? This is just, this is completely a guess to me, but it, it makes sense in my own weird noggin that this is what they would do. And so, yeah, if you take a couple different characters and you're like, okay, we're going to take some, basically some, like the body type in the face and we're going to change like his facial hair a little bit, but basically it's like the same person, but to the the quick eye, after you you haven't seen those other movies for a while, you would probably miss it. But if you just saw them, you'd be like, Wait, yeah, yeah, you know, and again, that's not a bad thing. Like, I actually had a lot of fun making that that connection. I was like, oh, okay. What was your impression of the baby and the monkeys? You know, I thought they were comic relief. I, I at first I thought it was kind of funny, but I would have liked them to develop that backstory. I mean. A, a baby just doesn't know how to like Kung Fu. <laughs> a baby doesn't know how to be a con artist. Like, you know, that was just thrown in there for some, some comic relief. And yeah, it was, it put a smile on my face a little bit. But, Darling um, little girl. But I, I like some, some more backstory. If I'm going to have, if I'm going to be following these characters for the rest of the, the, this journey, I want to know where they came from. And then there's just, Hey, here's some babies. Here's a baby and some monkeys. And, and baby knows Kung Fu and knows how to con people out of, you know, what their items and whatnot. And it's kind of like, well, okay, I guess we'll just have to take it and go. I, I don't know. That didn't do much for me. I, I thought it was fine. I thought it, it was kind of whatever, but. I figured it was going to be kind of like a, a one-off slapstick humor thing that was, that was just for that particular scene to be able to just really drive home the point that that region that they were visiting 
was so corrupt and and filled with such thievery that even like a baby was a con artist and in with the monkeys and stuff. And then she just kind of came along for the ride. I was like, okay. And so I, I go back and forth with that character because yeah, again, I think, I think the movie itself, it, it was decidedly in this fantasy realm. However, like when it came to like the fighting, for example, very realistic. But then when it comes to something like the baby, I mean, that, that is so like unrealistic. And, and it was, I mean, again, it was, there was so many different scenes with the baby that was funny and the monkeys and everything else. I mean, the monkeys were great. Uh, that I just, I, I went along with it, but it, 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 I don't know what it is about CG babies, but there's just always something about them that I find creepy. And, and I think because they gave this baby such a wealth of facial expressions that normally babies are incapable of doing at that age. Like you have to get a lot older before you're able to <laughs> Do the stink eye that she would do, or you know, some mouth of the, the word "bye." <laughs> yeah, that was actually that was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. That was good. <laughs> Did you have any other thoughts about the film, Steve, or should we go into conclusions? I think we should go into conclusions, Ross. Please, Steve, would you provide us your concluding thoughts and rating? Yeah, you know, I I just feel like this this should have been a series. I felt like it was too mashed up. I felt like. On paper, maybe it made a lot of sense, but on film, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, we didn't get to explore the kingdoms, um, and that was something I really wanted to see. It almost kind of felt like a video game, but a rushed game. Um, I mean, if, if you play an RPG, for example, you go to different areas to collect more and more treasures and, and whatever armor and weapons, whatever but you get to explore the city and, and this movie we were in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out pretty much constantly through the whole thing. And so while it made sense to me on when I watched the trailer or if I read the story, when I watched the movie, uh, it just didn't do a lot for me. I, I, I wasn't very entertained by it. Um, I, like I, earlier I said, the jokes fell flat to me. I, I really didn't laugh. Um, I, I thought that, there was, even though it was a beautiful film, and I thought most of the of the voice actors did a great job. It, it just wasn't for me. I, I just need I I need the story to be there, and I need the script to make sense. And I it, beyond the beauty of of the animation and the art style, it, to me it just felt shallow and flat, and um, I, I just felt unsatisfied at the end. And what is your rating? I would say two stars. Two stars. <clears throat> well, I agree that I think that this film is a very beautiful film. It would have been nice to have, like you said, spend some more time getting to know the regions and the characters. I, I really think that it was interesting how at the beginning of the film, we were introduced to the leaders of these different places like Heart and Talon and Fang and so on and so forth. And so it acts as kind of like a precursor or a foreshadowing as, oh, we're, we're clearly we're going to run into these people later on. And with the exception of the leader of, I think it was Fang, uh, who's the, the mother with the white hair, we really don't ever see them again. And that was really surprising to me. Um, 
and in addition to that too, we, we never really stay in any one of these places for too long before moving on to the next place. And therefore we as an audience don't really get the chance to be able to drink in more of, of the vistas or the locales. Like, and that's something that I would, once again, I, I want to be immersed in these places. And so we, we didn't really get a chance to do that. And I understand, you know, they're trying to keep the, the story moving forward. They have to go from one place to the next in order to try and collect the different um, pieces of the, of this magical crystal ball thing. But looking back at it, it's like, wow, like I, I think I, I probably would have been more emotionally invested in the characters if I had more to work with in that regard. The, um, the music, uh, we didn't even talk about the music, but the music I thought was very beautiful. James Newton Howard, I believe is the composer, huge fan of, of James Newton Howard. I also thought that the animation was terrific. The visuals were terrific. The, um, just the performances that the characters were able to make both in their faces as well as, as, um, their, their evoking, um, through the body performances, were absolutely phenomenal. The water looked almost realistic. So there, there, there was a number of, of things that I did appreciate about the film. However, when it comes to some of the things that we've been talking about with regards to how um, there were certain things like, like the plot didn't feel as, as deep as I would have liked it to, there were no musical numbers in it. Um, the, the violence was, uh, it was, it was to a point where because it was so realistic uh, as a parent, I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is, this is interesting. I will explain this later to my kid. <laughs> um, so when, when it comes to, to some of these, these different, um, areas that, that didn't resonate with me uh, so much in a positive light, you know, it, it, the two kind of cancel each other out, um, to a certain extent. I mean, like even with like the Sisu character, I, I was not feeling Sisu. Having said that, though, loved the the boy who was the cook on the boat. Loved the ruffian. The baby and the monkeys were great. Um, loved Raya. I mean, Raya was a very likable character, I thought. So I think that, that, you know, in the end, for me personally, this is not one of Disney's best films. I think that, that they have such a, a high bar that they have to reach because most of their films are terrifically produced and created. I would say I would probably give Riot and the Last Dragon. I think I will give it. Yes, Russ. I'm going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I think I'll give it three stars. Of course you would. Three stars. Again, when, when I think of other Disney films like Tangled or, I mean, even Pixar-oriented like Coco. I mean, Coco's like five stars, baby. That was just amazing. Well, that's because it's got the name on it, Russ. Pixar. Not just Disney. Oh. We're talking just Disney. Well, Disney's got some behemoths in their vault. But that's for another episode. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Thank you for joining us. <clears throat> next week. Do you remember what we're going to be talking about, Steve? Um, if it has a Wanda and a vision, you are correct. In the title, I think that's roundabout what we're going to talk about. We invite you to come back next week as we give a review of the first season of WandaVision. If uh, 
you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it helps us financially continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can do a search for us on YouTube and social media. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least, do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will look forward to be hanging out with all of you next week.